You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at Season 3, Episode 2 of Bugs, entitled The Revenge Effect, which may or may not be Part 2 of a two-part episode. Episode Synopsis The new, as yet apparently unnamed, Bureau of Weapons Technology is being assembled under Beckett's supervision. Ed is still in the hospital, and Ross is reluctant to give up her independence to join the Bureau. Director Jan wants the opportunity to talk with her to try to convince her. Beckett promises he'll try. In the hospital, Beckett and Roz visit Ed. He's depressed. He's badly hurt, full of metal pins holding him together, and he'll be in physiotherapy for a long time. He's got a shoulder, partial body cast, filled with women's names and phone numbers, though, so he'll have something to do when he gets out of the hospital. Roz and Beckett leave, but Beckett hangs back for a moment. Ed is on board with joining the new bureau. He's tired of working without a safety net, but he hasn't spoken to Roz about it either. Beckett plans to do so right now. That is postponed when he finds Roz outside crying, racked with guilt about what has happened to Ed. Kitty McHaig is still on the loose with her two henchmen, Ben and Zack. She's planning to disappear completely, and she's cleaning up loose ends, which includes collecting untraceable bearer bonds for her last exhibit, killing her agent, and having Zack reluctantly dispose of the body, and preparing to murder and assume the identity of the Duchess of Forteza. Step 1. A bit of online banking. She has Zack create a new account at her existing bank under the Duchess's name, which is apparently Duchess, then transfers all her money to the account. Kitty is not entirely convinced that Zack has the stomach for all this and has had Ben bug him. Smart move on her part, for when Kitty is out of sight, Zack changes her bank account's passcode. Beckett goes to Roz's home to meet about tracking down Kitty, but when he arrives, he sees Channing giving Roz a Ferrari. He gets all maudlin because he can't give Roz a Ferrari, so he blows off the meeting, which is a shame because Channing actually had some information that might help them track Kitty. Kitty is rich. Filthy rich. All that nonsense techno-destructo art that she created then got turned into lucrative secondary defense contracts. If they could go after her money, they could find her. One problem. Nobody knows where she banks. In the hospital, Zack, now clean-shaven, visits Ed and forcibly writes the passcode, which is a woman's name and a number, on his cast. Zack knows he's been bugged, and he's feeding information to Kitty to put them on Ed's trail rather than his. To access the bank, you must have both the account holder's name and the passcode. Kitty knows only the name, and Ed's back contains only the passcode. Zack escapes, and Ed, knowing he's in trouble, contrives to get his cast off immediately, sending the back piece off to Ross and Beckett with his doctor. He tries to figure out the passcode first, but there's one problem. The passcode is a woman's name and four-digit number, and his back is covered with women's names and their, apparently, four-digit phone numbers. He tries memorizing them all and makes his escape. He fails, and is taken and imprisoned at the estate of the Duchess of Forteza. Kitty gives him a little time to tell her the passcode before she starts to have Ben work him over. Beckett and Roz want to cut Kitty off from her money, 
but they are also stymied by the plethora of names and numbers and not knowing what bank she uses. Jan comes through for them after Ross agrees to join the Bureau. The official red file contains her bank info, and the file clerk, Alex, easily identifies which name and number is a passcode as being the only one that fits the input prompt. Using that, they try to log in but fail because she's changed account names. There's nothing for it but to break into the bank. Their plan, send Alex in with a scanner doohickey, and then use the data for their assault. But when the scanner returns data that shows the bank is much more protected than expected, they have to fall back on a new plan. Alex, who is still inside, decides to use her own initiative. At the Duchess's estate, Ed finds a secret passage and tries to escape. Unbeknownst to him, this is a trap laid by Kitty. He still cannot escape the house, and she's rigged the only phone to record the info Ed will surely try to tell his friends. Then she plans to hunt and kill him with a gun gizmo with explosive shells of her own design. She sends Ben to intercept the Duchess, who is just arriving in the country, and kill her. Inside the bank, Alex impersonates Roz, a famously rich woman, and gets the bank manager to put her in front of his master terminal. She tries to create an account using Kitty's passcode, and the computer has a conniption fit. The manager must type in the name of the account holder to unlock things. Alex observes the keys he types and escapes with the info. Ed finds the phone, but figures out it is trap, goes back to hiding. Kitty is actively hunting him now. Beckett rescues the Duchess at the airport, and they rush to her estate in Roz's Ferrari. When they arrive, Ed is in dire straits, trapped on the roof, still badly injured, with Kitty getting the upper hand in combat. Using the Ferrari, they pull the door off the house without damaging the Ferrari, and allowing Beckett to get inside and head to the roof. Ed is about to fall to his death, and Kitty escapes because Beckett and Ross must save Ed. Kitty steals Ross's Ferrari, and Ross to sidestep, shoot the tire out with Kitty's gun gizmo. Only after she blows up the Ferrari and Kitty does she learn that the gun gizmo shoots exploding shells. The new bureau office is taking shape, and Roz's new office has been outfitted to her satisfaction. Now, she has to explain to Channing what happened to the Ferrari he loaned her. The end. Okay, so was that part two of a two-parter? Or was it not? Well, I would say, pace in favor of it being part two of a two-parter was that obviously you have a number of characters who were introduced in the first episode of series three who reappear in this and you also have a degree of continuity in the sense that the establishment of the new bureau of weapons technology and so forth is still going on and ed is recovering from the immediate aftermath of the previous episode but i think <laughs> The case to say it's not part two of a two-parter is actually a lot of those continuing characters are continuing beyond this episode and yeah. the the kind of the Channing storyline, the Bureau of Weapons Tech storyline, getting to know Jan, all of that is going to continue through these episodes. So really the only recurring character that actually matters is the reoccurrence of Kitty. And she does and, seem dead. Well, she does. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Seems <laughs> dead by the end of the episode. Yes. But I, I think the point about the Kitty storyline in this episode is that, in essence, I mean, it, it, it is obviously a sequel to... That's what it feels like. Episode one. It's, it's very much the kind of revenge on Kitty. But as a sequel, it you know, apart from the fact that those other, those other factors where we're picking up after... 
immediately after the previous episode, the actual let's get revenge on Kitty storyline could have occurred at any point. So I don't uh-huh. think, I mean, in some ways you could say, well, every time you have a two-parter, part two is a sequel to part one. But I th- I, I don't I, think see, I consider by saying, actually, there is a distinction. I, I think a part two is one story split in two halves. Now, that's you, you don't come to a conclusion at the first half, which is one of the reasons I hate Moffat's two, quote unquote, two part Doctor Who's so much is that they are just two disjointed episodes butted up against each other with common common carriers and then and call it. So, no, I, I wouldn't call this a two parter. I apart okay, from well, the I'll fact agree that with Ed's that without accepting your point about Moffat. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, it all right. It's okay. I mean, Kitty has a different plan. Kitty is, you know, she's, she's got whatever it is, whatever thing that they have to thwart is a completely different plan. You know, I mean, it, it comes about because of what happened to her last time, but that's okay. That That's just development along the way. So, and Ed, yeah, I mean, I suspect maybe Ed is going to continue to be in pain. We talked about that before, that he may not be as active as he once was. Certainly, I, I I was thinking when he was up on top of that roof, struggling to get there, and I was thinking, this is a far cry from the guy who, in episode one, only enters Roz's apartment by climbing up the ivy on the outside of the building. We're not sure it was in the ivy, but yeah. Was it, it, or, whatever. So, oh, how the mighty have fallen, Ed. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So what did you think of the episode, though? Well, I mean, I still enjoyed it. I did enjoy it less than part one, I have to say. Partly, I think, because Kitty is much less of an interesting villain as she's presented in this episode. Talked a bit last time round about how some of the kind of background to her motivation and just her kind of general charm and charisma gave her an appeal. <laughs> Whereas she has very much switched to the kind of pantomime villain shooting people for no good reason and that's kind of reflected in Ed's I mean understandable attitude towards her like the appeal has definitely worn off for him but it it Fair kind enough. of has for, for me as well and in a way it feels like like I said enjoyed the episode but a, a, a sequel too far they're kind of having to stretch to to build another story around Kitty and you know, one point about that is the idea. I I enjoyed her being this kind of bad girl Britpop artist blowing cars up and calling it art. Mm-hmm. But I'm having a. I mean, this sounds daft. Having a credibility issue with bugs, but I am having a bit of a credibility issue with the idea that she's selling her art as, you know, as, that she she's military basically tech. become a mili- military inventor and has has made a fortune out of weapons contracts that just that seems surprising i'll go with that that does not really jive with what we saw in the first episode that Mm -hmm. does that does have that feel about you write one book and it's relatively neatly contained yeah okay maybe the villain got away but it's it's neatly contained but when you come back they reveal something new about the villain or that wasn't in evidence the first time around and, you know, okay, maybe that's true. Maybe so- sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it 
it kind of doesn't. It just, I don't know, it doesn't feel like what she would be doing with that, with that art. And it doesn't really feel like, you know, that battle wagon, woo, big deal. Um, <laughs> I'm not convinced that thing was, uh, boy, you know, that, that looked like bad prop written all over it the first episode. So that's in use, clearing minds all over the world. Nah, I, I'm, yeah. It it didn't feel like the two had been cohesively planned. It, you know, it, I mean, they're back to back by the same writer. You'd think they'd be cohesively strung together, but they're not quite. Yeah. I'm coming back to the, the, the same comment I made last time. You know, we can, we can say maybe, maybe we like, maybe we don't like the idea of them working for an official agency. Maybe we like the character of Alex. Maybe we don't. Maybe we like Jan. Not. That is not what bothered me last time. It's not what's bothering me this time. And it's, it is, they really seem to have pulled the wind out of the sails of we're using technology to do, all right, daft, innovative crimes, which is the hallmark of bugs so far. <laughs> what we got of this was a gun and, and a scanner. You know, it, it, this is so much more feels like just a, a run-of-the-mill spy drama, not exactly spy, but you know what I mean, agent drama, than what it was previously. I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. I mean, I would say the hallmark of Bugs is that they they use the tech to thwart the villains. And I think we've seen a lot of villains who use... I mean, I think, I guess it's inevitable when, when that's that's your plot driver the, the villains themselves oh. are going to use tech so that you know there's a a proper match up there let me let me let me expand a little bit then in previous episodes people developed tech that had a use remote controlled airplanes food that can be grown in vats any number of the seeds that can be grow in bad places and somehow the villains take that and twist it to some admittedly absurd, daft, villainous plant. So there's kind of, you, you could make an argument that there is a sort of looking at perhaps the unintended consequences of technology, which is one facet of science fiction, plan or unplanned consequences. But, but if you just say, I've invented a gun and this gun shoots things, this is not like a gun anyone else has, but it just does what other guns do. It's just different. Nothing there to that. There's nothing beyond the fact that we just made a gun as opposed to, turns out we made an inadvertent poison that we're now going to try to kill the entire population of London with or something. It just, it seems to have lost that, that sort of what can we play with here and, and twist around things that maybe we've heard about or maybe that people are working on or trying to invent. And instead, we just have a weapons dealer who, who makes weapons. And she's using weapons. And these guys are just, yeah, we got some high-tech gizmos to, or gad doohickeys, sorry. They don't have gizmos, they have doohickeys. I hope that doesn't continue. I did at least re read a bit of the synopsis for the next one, and I'm on the borderline on that one. So just from the, the brief synopsis of it, it might be more of the same or it might be back to the old style. I'm not sure yet. But that's that's what I'm kind of not happy with. 
like not that I didn't enjoy it and not that I didn't enjoy the episode. It's just that it sort of has lost something that made bugs bugs to me. It, it does seem like a significant right angle at the moment. So maybe that'll I, change once they get a budget. I think the Doomwatch aspect was, it was something that was in a lot of the episodes, but not necessarily all of them. And it tended to be, as I think you just said, something that the villains would exploit. So it's not necessarily the villains using tech in order to commit their crimes. It is that they are committing their crimes in order to use the tech that there is, you know, some purpose they want it for. And I I agree, I don't think I don't think that was there in this. But I also think that one of the key elements is that they 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 our protagonists use neat little pieces of technology in clever and surprising ways in order to thwart the villains. And so I think that is a another part of the sci-fi dimension of it. And they obviously had this kind of electromagnetic pinch thing using seismography or whatever on the uh, bank. <clears throat> but what? Uh, it it was very much in passing. It was it was it just failed. kind of Yeah. It failed. What worked was Alex bluffing it out. Yeah. You know, it was it was personal dynamic, personal capability as opposed to we use tech to do something. And that yeah. also I noted that as well in my notes. It's like hmm, their tech failed. That 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 does bring me to another point of disagreement with what you just said, which is you 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 know, you can like Alex or you cannot like Alex. No. No, the latter's not possible. Oh well, I suspect some people don't like Alex. I I, I found her fine, you know. It I was, found her I, very I, enjoyable. I didn't do that. I just, I just like, you know, it's not about bringing in the new characters. It's not about, you know, what they bring to the table. It's just they definitely feel like they've done something here to the format to rein it in. Maybe, maybe they're trying to get more ratings and go. Well, you know, we're not quite appealing to the crowd we wanted, so we're tweaking the formula a little bit or. Maybe this will help the overseas sales. I don't know. But it definitely feels like a bit of a reset here. And and not just because they decided to give them official sanction. I'm it, sure it's a it reset. Does feel different. I don't know that they're deliberately chucking out the sci-fi aspects. I mean, again, it, it comes back to the fact we don't quite know what was going on behind the scenes here. But mm -hmm. the fact that they're doing a reset and they're bringing in the new characters and they're establishing a new setup there is quite a and and they have brought back Kitty in uh, you know as a recurring villain in this what we're now deciding is a sequel that they've actually got quite a lot going on in the episode and there isn't a lot of scope for playing around with ideas around you know Doomwatch tech Fair that enough. might backfire on the world because you really you need a bit of time to explore what the benefits are before you get onto what the kind of negative consequences are. And there's not a lot to the plot in this episode. And I think that's deliberate no. because I think you want space for the rest of it. It's essentially going back to that kind of series one standard plot line of taking one of the bugs and putting them in jeopardy and having to be rescued. Yeah. And I, and I'm not making judgment on series three by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just looking at what's happened in these first two episodes and saying, 
you know, without knowing what's coming in any way, shape, or form, except one sentence description of the next episode, it just feels like they're doing something here that I may not ultimately like in the end for, you know. I think they're pulling it more into, because, because you know, it's nominally the Bureau of Weapons Technology, or at least nominally until they change the name. It's more a kind of agents of the government. Well, I mean, it is, I suppose, quite literally agents of the government. So it, it does mean that it's more in the tradition of the Avengers or the Man from Uncle or whatever than right. it was before, when I think that allowed them quite a lot of scope to basically put our characters into any any kind of situation, particularly since a lot of the work they were doing was security work for very for, for corporations who had invested a lot in technology and perhaps invented something that someone would want to steal. And that that creates a, a type of scenario that allows you to explore all of as you say, all of these kind of potentially threatening technologies. So I think that does change it a bit. So I agree with you there. But I also quite like The Man for Uncle and shows like that. So in a way, this is more like the bugs that I remember watching in the 90s. And so I guess I'm going to find that more sympathetic than you are. Do do, do you think that one of the possible reasons for bringing them into an official capacity is because, and I know that I know this in the real world, this is wrong, 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 but in TV world, it's not as wrong as it is in the real world. And that is all those murders that our team have committed on the people that they've been uh, up against have been, you know, we're just private citizens and oops, uh, threw this guy off a balcony why don't you go before a court? And by putting them under aegis of the government, there is a sort of implication that that can be kind of swept under the under the rug. The funny thing there is that we haven't really seen the police or there being any consequences of the things no. that our, quote, heroes have done before they had the protection of a government agency. And... At the same time, if they were, as in if the producers were in any way concerned about having our, quotes heroes going around committing, well, I couldn't say murder, but I th- I mean, this is quite clearly manslaughter that, that Roz commits. And it it's blatant. It's absolutely blatant. I mean, there is no way that she could mount any kind of defense to avoid being convicted for that. If it came to court, which obviously it's not going to. Right. Well, I, okay. So let, let's carry that a bit further. UK laws are different from other country laws. And, and I'm not talking about laws about how the government operates. I'm talking about what gets allowed on television, what's acceptable on TV. Uh-huh. And it is just possible that in an effort to, because I understand bugs actually sold pretty well overseas, which is why they were keeping it going, that it's possible that they're just making this a little bit more marketable to place. Like in the United States, uh, up for a long time, there was this sort of, uh, we've talked about it, You you can the good guy can kill people, but only after the bad guy is shot at him first. Or, you know, it, 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 there are some weird rules about what 
the hero can and cannot do, and they would work them around so that they wouldn't violate them, but then he'd still manage to shoot the guy in the end. And one of those, you know, is if he's, uh, you know, working on a crime in an official capacity, made a difference as to what could be done. So look at what they had to do to the saint for television. I mean, they had to take out the fact that he was just a cold-blooded killer going around and robbing criminals. They had to make him a happy-go-lucky adventurer kind of thing. And they had trouble with that because he wasn't really the law. So I just I, I just wonder what's behind I, this. What what they thought was well, missing or that they needed to change for this for this change to come about. Like th- there must have been something. I think that so just rewinding a little bit, I think that that obviously that difference between British standards and American standards is something that you can see going way back. And I think for shows like this, which are which are aiming to sell overseas, but are also trading on their Britishness, you get into that trap that you you can't compromise too much on it because that compromises the the Britishness, part part of which is this kind of zaniness and outrageousness, I guess. And yet you've got to compromise enough that it doesn't get banned. And you see shows treading the line, and I think you know you've you've seen this in the past with. Shows like the Avengers episode, A Touch of Brimstone, where they push the boundaries quite a long way, and that gets them into all sorts of Ameri- all sorts of trouble with the Americans. And that was, you know, part of the season where they're first trying to sell it overseas. So, right. I I think I think that is a kind of perennial issue. I do. I mean, on that more general point of we. Motivation or trying to justify the action. So, if you have your heroes kill someone, it has to be in order to protect someone, or you know, as an act of self-defense, or to stop them committing some crime or whatever. But I think the slightly puzzling thing about what we see in this episode is that they're not really stopping Kitty doing anyone any harm whatsoever. She's trying to get away. The Duchess and they're. She's she's murdered a few people. She's murdered a few people, but she's not in the middle of murdering anyone. And I think that's perhaps the key point. And so they have Roz pick up a gun and say she's just going to shoot the tires out, which is why where I come in with my uninformed legal opinion that I don't think that would give you a defense against manslaughter. But also it's kind of it's an odd one because it's not like they're trying to tell a story where moral ambiguity is an essential part of the plot. Like, you know, some of these mm-hmm. examples that you've given, the key point is that we have an anti-hero. We have a, a hero who is someone who maybe does exciting and glamorous things, but is still in some way committing acts that most of us would consider to be morally repugnant. Whereas I think Bugs isn't kind of really like that. We're supposed to find all of our central characters quite cuddly. And so the defense here is just that Roz thinks that this enormous high-tech bazooka thing is some sort of rifle. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, makes and that she's stupid. A rifle. She's never fired before. She yeah. thinks she can shoot out a tire. No. I mean, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with her confidence. No, I mean, we know. <laughs> we know. From the moment we saw that Ferrari, 
that that was the big boom in this episode. Right. Yes. <laughs> Which Channing showed her that Ferrari. I'm like, and there's the explosion today. It's the Ferrari. And, and it was. <laughs> and it was the only big boom in this episode, too. At least Ed got to see it and appreciate it. But, uh, but they had other opportunities to boom the car. I mean, I agree, the car was always going to boom, but they had other opportunities to boom the car without there being anyone in it at the time. They could have used it to ram something or, you know. Well, they, they teased that. They, could, they, could, they contrived it to happen in a way that involved Kitty being in it at the time. <laughs> well, she's become part of the art. I, I guess. I mean, even if they had made that link, it would maybe have been... A more, it would have felt like the scene was more justified. I guess uh, they were trying to, in a in a more unambiguous way, write her out. But uh, I don't. Again, this comes back to the fact that I'm I'm not enjoying Kitty as a villain nearly as much as I did before. And this does not. You, I'm not. I'm not sure. I immediately drew the parallel, but you were definitely of the opinion that she was Moriarty to Ross's homes. But this was not yeah. exactly the Reichen back falls, to be fair. No. No, it was not. Um and it still feels like they're building up Roz to be Holmes. Or some not not Holmes brain wise necessarily, but you know no, the, I don't think the, the force pick to be up a bazooka and expect to shoot out a car to have. <clears throat> or or even pick up a bazooka and know what the heck it was. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, although, you know, if, if it is still a Moriarty situation, there's no problem escaping from an exploding Ferrari. That's just next time. Here I am. No, I, here's here's where it, that I got kind of disabused of that notion in this episode. Kitty is doing, for once, the right thing as a villain. It may not be interesting, but she's doing the right thing. She got found out doing a really, really bad thing. And her career is ruined as an artist. Her, you know, she'll go to prison. So what does she do? She says, I'm going to disappear off the face of the planet with my money and be gone. Right answer. Not, I'm going to get revenge against Ross and those people. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'm going to keep coming up with stupid, idiotic plans that are bigger and dumber each successive time no she's just going to she's she's built a plan to get out and and it's a pretty good one i mean in the grand scheme of things apart from banking issues adopting the identity of someone that no one has any relatives of is and is rich and can explain her wealth and then disappear to venezuela and live out her life makes perfect sense and i wouldn't expect to see her back at that point, if she had successfully affected this plot, right? I, I I wouldn't expect her to be sitting in Venezuela going, now, how do I get back at them? I, I, I don't see that. So, yeah. The name, the revenge effect kind of threw me because now it sounds like Kitty is in revenge mode or it could be our heroes in revenge mode. I'm not sure who right, uh, was taking revenge in this. I think the title is around our heroes wanting revenge. There is that scene at the beginning where Ed is in hospital and is depressed and in a bad way and Roz is upset about it and everything, where the focus is 
we need to find Kitty and bring her to justice for what she has done to Ed. So that, I thought, was the sense in which it was about revenge. No. Curiously, it's the second really rather downbeat cold open that we've had for this series. Because because the, the opening episode of this series, you had that quite strange montage with Kitty's art show, but then her uh, brother killing himself uh-huh. just as you go into the titles, which is kind of dark. Yeah, some people consider suicide kind of dark, yeah. Yeah. Then this, it's all very much about Ed and depression and, you know, being in a physical state that is a mere shadow of who he used to be and I also think that is kind of quite depressing really which isn't the kind of vibe that you expect from bugs no I think they've I think they're through the fire here I think the next episode will be what bugs will be for the rest of the season that's my guess that they've gone through they've gone through the 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 pieces they needed to get the reset chessboard set up again and then We'll see next time what happens. I think it this this episode certainly opened. It needed to open with a fairly plot heavy pre-title sequence because of the process of still establishing the changes that are going on. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I sort of sit down and I'm watching Bugs as a Saturday evening TV show, I want some. Well, I mean, part one delivered this at least, or episode one delivered this at least. I want some explosions and some excitement and almost like a cliffhanger as you go into the the actual titles that grabs your attention for what's going to come next. That's always a little odd in transition, so we'll we'll see. Quick question, was Ed watching Neighbours in the hospital? <laughs> I saw that. I mean, I'm pretty sure okay. it wasn't, but I don't know. I think I mean, it their was intended. Were pretty darn thick. <laughs> yeah. They're, well, yeah. I, I think it was intended to send up neighbours. I think it was an in-joke, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't actually neighbours, but I would defer to anyone with more expertise on neighbours than me, which is most people. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Roz, the rich, famous woman. Her 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 stock has really gone up in, in the Bugs universe, hasn't it, since yeah. last year? I mean, not just the fact that she's suddenly rich, uh, and that she's known all over the place. I mean, the bank people seem to know who she was, and obviously Kitty knew who she was last time. I, I, I don't know what they're trying to do there with her, with her character, and I'm not sure they know because something she said in the last episode came back to me in this episode, not because of anything that happened in this episode, just as I was chewing over what's going on with Ross. She made some comment about to, to Beckett when they walked into her her new place and everything was all covered in drapes or whatever. She made some comment about not really caring about the trappings of wealth or something of that to that effect. In other words, it's like I don't really care about this stuff, right? You don't buy rent or lease a home on Millionaire's Row. If you don't care about that stuff, right? I mean, right. You can have millions and millions of pounds. You don't need to put it into a huge freaking house 
in a rich neighborhood unless you want people to know that you're rich. And of course, it makes it less likely that she's going to work for the Bureau of Weapons Technology or soon to be renamed something, I assume, uh, based on the comments in this episode. I don't know why there, it, it, there is that aspect of a hero that the villains have heard of, right? I mean, that's a, that's a different dynamic that is used in some, in some shows. Like, mm-hmm. Again, I could refer back to the saint. You know who that is? That's Simon Templar. You know, and this little halo goes off across the room. But because then they, they have an idea that they're up against somebody formidable. Or then they, you know, it's like, well, we're going to have to be clever and frame him because we see he's on the case. Or, you know, it gives them a little bit more dynamic. And then, of course, sometimes he can go into places and they just don't know who he is. And there is that anonymous dynamic. And it, it just feels like they're setting Roz up to be used for that purpose, perhaps. You know, oh, people are coming after the Bureau because Roz works here and they've heard it. They're shooting for the big gun kind of thing. I, I don't know. We talked about that with Kitty McKay recognizing her in the last episode. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that the bank guy knows who she is isn't quite the same. I don't really no, understand it isn't. what the point of it is in terms of what it does for Roz's character. But that's partly because I suspect that the only reason they've done it is as a convenience for giving Alex some way to pull the trick that she calls in the bank. She, Yeah, I mean, she could have made up any name. If, if she was trying but to bluff have, being rich, she could have made up any name, right? We would have needed but, a name that we recognize, though. So it would, it's efficient to say Ross Henderson because we know who Ross is and we know that Ross has money. But, well, like, I guess my point is, is that she used the name Ross Henderson and the bank manager might have just been playing along, right? Somebody comes in, gets into your bank and is going big about being rich and, and wanting to set up an account. And maybe you don't recognize their name and maybe you just defer to them anyway and be nice. You know, I and go, well, think hi. that was what was I, happening. I, I don't think that's the case. Got... I, I agree. It does feel like he genuinely recognized the name. But, you know, if if it was a bluff, if he was pretending that she could have used any name, we don't need to know what that name was. She could have just made up any name whatsoever. I'm I'm the rich Australian heiress, Betty, whatever. And he like, I better I better play along. But it doesn't. So it, it does indeed feel like Roz is rich and famous. And that's weird. And of course, she doesn't need to work for the Bureau because she's got money. Yes. She, she does it for fun. I just do it for fun without working for somebody. I, I, and I'm weird that way. Also poor in that way. But there you go. Can you explain to me what happened with Jan's signature? Because I know that Beckett handed her a form and he said this is just an authorization to allow me to make purchases so i don't have to come to you every time to make purchases which is perfectly realized you know it's a very common thing in government to have a letter of uh, i forgot what it's called now but there's a, there's a specific term that we use where you've given purchase authorization to an entity and it usually has a dollar figure associated with it 
It's like you you don't have to go. You can use the procurement code at your discretion to purchase things up to five thousand dollars or whatever it happens to be. And I thought that's what he was asking for. But that way he said, make sure you press down real hard. I felt like he was she was signing a bunch of different things all at once. And then she I don't know, looked at the clipboard or something afterwards. Ah, Beckett! I can't figure out what what he did. I don't know what he did. I think there was an explanation of it later, and I did. I wasn't paying sufficient attention because he requisitioned something by hiding it on the triplicate or whatever it was. I think also I was distracted by the fact that Jan has this way of saying Beckett in almost exactly the same way that Grisham says Slade. So I was busy thinking <laughs> yeah. about that and not so much about what Beckett was actually up to. Well, again, because because he was asked he because he was asking her to assign a form to allow him to buy things at his discretion, it makes no sense that he would trick her into signing something else to buy. <laughs> which she's just freely given him the authority to go buy things, unless it was incredibly expensive. Well, that was my assumption. So Later in the episode, the facts, the facts invoice comes through and Alex gets it. And Jan or Jan sees it. What's that for? It's like, oh, this is some stuff that Alex or Ross wanted for her office. And Jan like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. Again, it felt like it felt like no deception was needed. If that's what it took to get Ross happy, that Jan was not going to have a problem with that. I want them so bad. Go ahead and set her up with her basically her whole office all over again. That wasn't my imagination, was it? It looked very much like her whole office, just maybe turned the other direction. But uh, I don't know. It didn't look. From the first it season. Looked, it, it looked like a, a kind of very 90s office to me, which I guess like they a both 90s computer say, room yeah. to me. But uh, yeah, of course, I worked through the 90s in a computer room, so maybe that did, that's what they all look like, and I just didn't notice, but why why were all the phone numbers on Ed's back four digits? How does that work? I didn't I a didn't lot of them were four digits. I only saw the only number that was four digits I saw was the two thousand and one, so I hadn't botted that. I, I I mean, they're looking at this going, these are people's women's names and phone numbers, which is presumably what yeah. they all gave Ed. You would think that it would not take Alex knowing what the prompt for the passcode looks like to spot the odd one out and go, that's not a phone number. Well, yes. I was just, I didn't that see was... any other numbers. I, I thought, how could, you know, when he's talking about, oh, I don't know which one it is, and he's looking at the thing, and I'm scanning the others, and I didn't see any others that looked like phone numbers. I won't swear they were all four digits, but they were not, they were, they were very short in comparison to what I expect from a phone number, even a UK phone number, which I think is still... How many digits is it normally? Not counting the prefix code? It would probably have been... Well, if it's a London number, I guess it might be eight. But yeah, I, a lot of phone numbers would be six, but then oh, would okay. it have been I I, six, no prefix? There might have been some sixes, yeah. Okay. I, I just I did not see a single other number. The camera centers on Miranda two thousand and one. It does it's do the that. One that draws your eye, so you memorize it, it. it. 
It does do that. It does do that. I might go back and see if I can't snap a picture of it. But uh, yeah, it was, it didn't seem like it was much of a challenge, frankly. Um, I think it would have been better if I, this banking well, thing would have been better if they'd had to use symbols. <laughs> Upper and lowercase letters, I, maybe um, yeah, two-factor yeah. authentication. Yeah, I, I I had thoughts about the security of the bank system. I particularly found it very difficult that he said, you know, the chances of two people picking the same thing are infinitesimal. Oh, really? Really? Password You've never one, actually two, three, seen four. what? <laughs> exactly. That's what I've written. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to spell it without no because that's the only way to get it down to seven letters. But still, chances are that's what people will have put, isn't it? So, well, they do make a joke about that in the episode, though. It's the name of your child or the name of your dog. Yeah, she does yeah. actually say that. So, I mean, they are at least self-aware of the fact that people do use stupid passwords. They are, but in what in what universe? Well, I know we've discussed the yeah. bugs parallel universe, but the. The idea that your identity is one part of a secure login, absolutely yep. ludicrous. Yeah, maybe maybe they have some sort of password recovery program. Uh, oh, you know what the password recovery program is? It's that bank manager because he knows the usernames and the passwords of all the staff, apparently. So they don't hash the passwords. I guess not. I mean, he did... He did have to type in her name, which he apparently knew from memory. And how would he know that unless he could see the password, which he must have been able to see to clear it. So, yeah, no, it was it was definitely uh, from a time long gone by <laughs> goes the passwords. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to have to put the right user in to clear the computer. OK, okay. that makes perfect sense. <laughs> and her name is. Duchess of Fort Fort Days. I, I know that your titles do mean something over there. It isn't... Is that your legal name at that point? I don't think so, but we don't know that she hasn't changed her name by deed poll, so... So, uh, it was... like, and, and honestly, do we really think that their system could handle a three-word name? I think we were... I was literally just having this conversation with, with uh, Kenneth about this over... Uh, characters in space above and beyond because the the grown human beings have two names, the first and last. And it's like, why do they have a last name? They don't have a family. And then we concluded that it was because when you enter your name in online forms, you have to use two words or the computers blow off far too many times. Seen that happen. So, you know, I can't believe they could handle three. That That's just, that's just crazy talk. At least back then it is. We we should at least mention Alex. Um, you like Alex? I like Alex. I think Alex did a good job in this episode. She she demonstrated that she's up Alex to being awesome. on the team. Why is she on? Why is she the file clerk? I don't know. Um, I don't know. She yeah, her her talents have yet to be recognized. We know she's a martial Maybe arts she instructor. Was just, she was just coasting from from last time. She obviously understood. She likes reading. I did really dislike Beckett explaining to her the the tech that was happening. He he really did he really did come off condescending in that in that moment. More so than he usually does. 
right? He doesn't usually talk to people about technology that way. Even, even if he knows they don't understand it, it's just, they did it for this scene so that it could show he's underestimating the file clerk. So well, I think, and I, I didn't think that was his textbook mansplaining the, yeah, the, this, the scene illustrates both that Beckett's understanding of these things is not as high as say Ros's, And so that comes across, but also he adopts a much more condescending tone when he did explaining it to a young woman. Yeah, he did, but he hasn't been that kind of condescending in the past. It, it, you mean when explaining it, felt, it to a, say, huh, a man he sees as his equal? To anyone. I don't recall him explaining it to anyone in like that in the past. I mean, like I said, I get his level is not Ross level. He knows that. We know that. That's fine. He doesn't need to but be... But he, he doesn't want Alex to know that. That's the point, isn't it? Maybe. Maybe. That that strikes me as being something that you're not going to hide from your file clerk. Uh, personal assistant, sorry. Your personal assistant. Well, I don't know, because he because this is this is the point about the assumption he's making, which is that she couldn't possibly know very much about it. So what he knows will be ample to make it seem like he is some sort of expert who can explain all of this stuff. <sighs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I just I just didn't think that seemed consistent with the Beckett we've seen. I didn't like the scene, except, of course, it's the amusing joke of her coming back and, and knowing more about it probably than he did. So, um, which was the point, which is why they made him act slightly down from character. I was going to have a, a fascinating little discussion about bearer bonds which are not a thing anymore, but it turns out they were a thing still in Britain in 95. So, okay. 97. Um, 97. All the shows, 95, 97. Yeah, they were still in 97 as well. I think they didn't okay. get phased out of existence in Britain until 2015, but they were phasing oh. out America starting in the late 70s or early 80s. Just for the sake of argument, a bearer bond, which you hear about in shows all over the place because they're untraceable and they're as good as cash. Well, basically a bearer bond is a bond that is not registered. It's not numbered and it's issued by a company. Um, you buy it and then when it has a maturity date, you can give it back to them and get your money back. Fair enough. They also have coupons that go with them. I don't know whether they're attached to the edge and you cut them off or, or what? I've not seen a bearer bond, but uh, the coupons are set terms that you can trade them in to get your interest. So you take coupon number one, it comes due January, you go to the company, you say, here, give me my money. They give you the money. and But the bonds, if they're stolen, they're stolen. There's no register of who owns them. It's whoever shows up at the door with the bond or the coupon and says, here, give me my money, you get your money, which is why they were very popular in tax avoidance. Because, you know, the company just gives the money. They don't have to record who took the money. So you don't record it as income. You avoid taxes. It's all very not transparent. But yeah, they were, they're basically were non-existence in the United States. And I, banks are no longer required to deal in them and, and, 
And I guess in 2015, the UK just gave everyone nine months to uh, trade them in and make them registered bonds or so sorry, <laughs> you got nothing. So uh, they are, they are done, but they could have been here. What makes no sense though, is that if Kitty's complaining, she doesn't have any money. She's got a big briefcase full of bearer bonds that she just got, which she never had a chance to take and put in her bank before they started doing the whole bank account thing. So she's still got a stash of cash, basically. The other question I have, well, question is not the right word, observation that I put out there. I thought it was an odd bit of dialogue between Jan and Beckett where she mentioned that part of their job would be keeping an eye on other government agencies. That seems an odd thing to mention. But don't, don't you guys have internal affairs agencies for that kind of thing? We have, um, well, what did we have in the 90s? We had CIB3, but I think that was probably fictional. I can't remember what the name of it was. So the, na the name of the real division of the Metropolitan Police is similar. And that that is the division that looks into cr criminal activities of metropolitan police officers and so that was the basis of a very popular 90s crime drama called between the lines mm -hmm. which guest starred for a number of episodes one jay griffiths by the way so I, that ran from about 1992 for three series and i think that the it was so kind of phenomenally successful that its influence would still have been felt in 1997 and that bugs might want to do something like that but i, I just i don't think yeah. that you would expect anything as realistically portrayed as you get in between the lines no to be no, no, no. to be the kind of setup well you wouldn't you wouldn't expect a, a, when you talk about internal affairs or whatever i think that's your equivalent of a police complaints division but yeah. we're not talking about the police here. We're talking about secret agents. They all have, we, internal affairs is usually used as shorthand, but we're, you know, government agencies have entities that would investigate crime on behalf or, or misdoing on behalf of government people. But it, it just, it just felt odd. I mean, again, they're sure they're changing the name and perhaps they're going to change the name to the Bureau of checking up on other agencies what they're using tech for but you know to my mind it's still this is the bureau of weapons technology and their idea is to go out and deal with weapons technology which is a bad thing actually because i don't necessarily want bugs to be all about weapons again maybe weaponizing things but not necessarily guns and missiles secret drones and and whatnot but you know it it still sounds like they have some of the remit of the old Bureau of Weapons Technology, and I did never got the feeling that that was also to uh, keep an eye on the other agencies' stuff along the way. That it just feels again like maybe we're switching the premise around a bit further. Well, I well I th I think they're I think they're trying to open up again. They're not quite willing to commit to our heroes being just part of one thing they want that flexibility to be able to kind of range over different stories so it makes sense the setup allows them to do that because of this arm's length arrangement and it kind of 
I'm just trying to check when the ghost squad was and this was another another crime drama about police officers investigating other police officers but actually that was much later than this however it was inspired by uh the the real life ghost squad was uh from 94 to 98 and they were secretly investigating police corruption so you know the the difference there being between what you see in um uh, between the lines is that everyone in the force knows who the criminal investigation bureau is so and hates them i i get yeah yeah i guess i guess it could be based on that but i don't no. think we're going to get I, I i really can't remember this is you know th- this is more detail than my recollections of seeing the show originally 25 years ago allow but I don't think we're going to get them investigating other spooks every week. I suspect that rather this is some sort of tip-off to a plot line that is going to occur later in this season. It, it feels deliberate. It definitely feels deliberate. It was unnecessary. I mean, we've not been given any aspect of their remit, really. So if next week Jan comes in and says, well, the boy's over at... The Department of Weights and Measures have developed an atomic scale that can also be used to atomize buildings. I want you to check that out. You know, then that would be back to bugs. But at the same time, (laughs) yeah, nobody watching this show is going to go, wait a minute. They got no business investigating another agency. No one's going to do that. Not on a show like this. So... Hence a line like that makes me go, huh, why? All right, never mind. We shall see. We shall see. Oh, I don't have anything else. I don't think. No, I'm done. All right. Well, uh, I do not have the next episode's name in front of me. It's The Price of Peace. Oh, yes, that was it. I remember now. (laughs) Well, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Listeners, I hope you'll... Join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusion patrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, it's the Galactica 1980 episode that is both better and worse than you remember. We'll be looking at space croppers. Come join the conversation.